0: Welcome to Social Work Made Accessible, a podcast where we have conversations exploring our profession, the practice, and people's perspectives. It's Ming Fang,
1: Dominic, and Rachel.
2: Welcome to another episode of Social Work Made Accessible. Today, we will be having conversations about trauma-informed supervision, also known as TIS, what it may look like in the social work sector, practice considerations, and our personal reactions. To facilitate this, we have four very special guests, two of whom you may have heard before from the previous episode, Jessica and Lingfang, and another two, Si Ping and kaden So let us now in- invite them to introduce themselves, and perhaps you can also share with us how they came to know each other.
3: Hi, uh, my name is Kayden, uh, I'm from Singapore Children's Society, Sambin Place. So Sambin Place is a residential home for children and young person uh, who have been through um, abusive experiences uh, or adverse uh, travel experiences. So, uh, so my role there is uh, to head home and I also do supervise uh, some of my social workers as well. We got to know each other uh, through the Safe and Strong Families uh, study trip and all of us, uh, we went to Australia. We, we spend our time where we really get to learn uh, from the experts there um, and we also attend a conference there. But we really uh, got together, know each other really well. And I think yeah, it's really uh, kind of a nice and surreal where we, it's a reunion for us where we all come together for this podcast.
4: So I'm sleeping. So I am currently working in the field of child protection. And I've been in this field um, for the past six, seven years, working directly with um, children who have been abused, um, neglected, and of course the families uh, who are eager to um, actually restore the relationship with their children and also um, the rest of the families. So I'm privileged um, to also um, share this podcast, um, some of my experience um, as a supervisor and also as a supervisor.
5: Hi. Hi everyone, my name is Ling Fang and I'm a social worker by training and I'm currently uh, the team lead for a team that supports um, low-income families with young children. So um, trauma-informed supervision or rather trauma-informed practice is something that that I'm passionate about and really aspiring to be grounded in that.
6: Hello, good evening. Uh, I'm Jessica. I'm a principal social worker of a family service centre and part of my role is to supervise uh, social workers, counsellors as well as uh, supervise, uh, supervisors who are supervising. I am really looking forward to have a conversation with my friend and uh, talk about trauma-informed uh, practice and trauma-informed supervision that we are so passionate about.
2: So now that you know our guests a little bit better, let us share what you can expect for this episode. In this episode, we decided to veer away from the traditional podcast format where hosts Dominic, Rachel, and myself lead a conversation with guiding questions. This time, we're bringing the fishbowl discussion format to life, split into three segments. The first entails the four guests conversing about trauma-informed supervision, also known as TIS, its definitions, implications, and practice with the hosts listening in without commenting. In the second segment, the hosts will share our reflections and questions to the guests inside. Finally, the guests will return to sum it all up with their responses and conclusion.
0: A gentle note as you speak about trauma, can we also experience some discomfort? Your body keeps score and as you listen in, we invite you to be conscious of any tension points you feel indicating discomfort or a lack of safety. Feel free to pause and process anything you should need and revisit the conversation when you're ready. Enjoy! Enjoy!
3: I'm really excited uh, to have this uh, conversation on trauma-informed supervision uh, together with uh, Jessica, Shi Ping, and Ling Fang. Yeah, so, maybe let's start off this conversation by really addressing uh, what is trauma-informed supervision?
5: Actually, for myself, I have also been wondering, you know, what's the definition? Is it really like um, another a lens that we take? Does it also mean that if we practice those five principles, uh, safety, trust, choice, collaboration, empowerment, does it mean that we are
6: providing trauma-informed supervision? What kind of difference are we uh, talking about
1: or looking for?
3: So uh, I think according to literature, uh, Trauma-informed practice uh, should embody the five principles. So uh, then when it comes to these five important elements of trauma-informed practice, then when it comes to trauma-informed supervision, so ideally uh, these should also be reflected and infused uh, into the supervisory process and relationship. Yeah. So so supervision, uh, trauma-informed supervision then would be a space to support and uh, further further embed uh, some of these trauma-informed lens and values. Uh, into into our into the all aspects of the work Uh,
6: what was our personal experience as a practitioner as a supervisor for us to see that uh, trauma-informed supervision uh, has been helpful by adding that lens to our supervision process
4: yeah i was um, asking myself that question too like how does uh, a crisis like you know driven like uh, organization or workplace Right, uh, invoke certain uh, feelings um, in among the workers, right? Um, and I was just also thinking, it's not just about um, the direct workers uh, themselves, but also um, the peers who are listening to certain like you know um, crises, uh, and also supervisors ourselves, like um, hearing some of the stories that actually uh, direct workers are reflecting back to them. Coming back to that, I I remembered a point where, um, as direct supervisors or uh, co-workers working in crisis setting, we have to be very attuned to um, some of their feelings, Um, maybe immediate feelings, or maybe like, you know, feelings that arise later after they have a certain discussion about the case itself. Yeah, so my first um, thought is really the attunement to feelings first, before we talk about like you know, um, other uh, responses that we can give um, to our workers or uh, co-workers. I'm very mindful not to call them supervisees yet. In a sense, it's it kind of highlights um, the per- power relation, right, supervisors and supervisees. But I think in a trauma-informed uh, setting, uh, we must be very aware of the power itself because they are already dealing with, you know, um, situations that are
6: vulnerable. It is that relationship that we have with uh, the other person. And uh, how does uh, that relationship help us to uh, uh, be able to um, support them uh, or even be able to help them to um, deal with some of the uh, indirect trauma that they might be experiencing because of the work that they are doing. For those of us who are working with a lot of crisis or we are dealing with a lot of trauma, Indirect trauma is a given. It is not something that you can choose not to be affected because we are humans Uh, and we work with um, uh, families and we build relationships with them. And so for us to hear stories of um, pain or hear stories of violence uh, or even witnessing uh, sometimes the aftermath of the impact of a very violent uh, episode, we will be affected. So then I guess my in my mind, I'll be thinking, how then uh, do I sustain my fellow colleagues uh, in doing the work that we are doing? And also at the same time, how do I sustain myself as a supervisor?
3: I also want to share that uh, I think trauma's informed supervision is not only for... Uh, social workers who are really dealing with crises or in like, child protection field, adult protection field, it can be really universal. I think personally, I have experienced uh, both sides. Supervision that is really like a tick box exercise where my supervisor really just wants to make sure that, you know, um, how am I adapting to the work? Uh, what are some of the issues that I'm facing and then to find solutions together. Yeah, so I find that it's really a think box exercise where I just go for the supervision session uh, and just want to get it overdone with and, and see whether quite uh, I get some solution out of it uh, and I don't feel really energized, I don't feel hurt, I don't feel uh, being recognized. There are also um, supervision that I find really helpful. TIC supervisor really uh, respect and acknowledge uh, the work that I'm doing uh, the issue I'm facing uh, and considering from the different aspects like the emotional aspect, spiritual, political, physical, moral, relational impact of the world and so on. And also uh, my supervisor also helped me to uh, aspects uh, or accept uh, what are some of my triggers, my hot spots, stresses and uh things that that uh, that really push me off the cliff yeah so having uh sharing about some of these uh struggles acknowledging these struggles are very real and me as a human being that I will face some of these uh struggles as well i think that really uh, serves as a relief for me so i really walk out the room feeling very energized feeling uh, recognized feeling understood and appreciated
6: i myself have also experienced that as a young worker. Having a, a supervision uh, session where I'm being attended to uh, and that that was the space for me to think about how the work with my clients impacted me. Isn't strange for me.
5: Yeah, I mean, I really enjoy watch, uh, listening to your share and I think there were a few points that um, I could connect with. I think what uh, jumps up at me is still back to the question about what is the difference and I think one core thing is really the application of the knowledge on trauma during supervision. For example, why is there a need to attune to the feelings of our supervisee? And that's because we know that, you know, when a traumatic experience happened, whether we are directly the worker or we are perhaps uh, supervising our supervisee, um, when we are able to articulate uh, the language like, um, like Uh, What triggers, what about the uh, trauma materials that you have seen or you heard? Uh, What is it doing to your body, to your feelings? I feel like um, as a supervisee or even as a supervisor, connecting to what Jessica shared about being mindful about our own experiences um, helps to, you know, uh, being reflexive about what's happening in session as you're attending to your supervisee or the co-worker and having that uh that conversation about it. Yeah, so I think um the articulation of and application of trauma knowledge is, is quite crucial, at least in how I term as oh, trauma-informed supervision. And uh, the other very big thing as I'm sharing that came to me is the idea about being very reflective and reflexive in our practice. I think that's a That's a very important thing, which I think in other uh, supervision modality, you know, this also it's not new, right? Yeah, I also want to introduce
6: the idea of relational reflexivity. Yeah, so it's not just about reflexivity uh, uh, as a person or myself of the practitioner, but the relationship. Within a relationship, how can we have also reflexivity? Then that I guess that also ties into what Sipin talked about, being attuned to the feelings of the person sitting opposite me that may be asking for uh, some support. How is the idea of uh, being trauma-informed help me to uh, um, play my uh, role as a supervisor a little bit different than before?
3: I uh, really needs the supervisor to listen more and uh, not to jump in too fast and not to jump in with solution too quickly as well.
4: Uh, what is trauma-informed care? The first aspect is actually safety. And hence the relationship part actually uh, highlights or re emphasizes on safety aspect. And I think one aspect that I also want to add on that uh, when we are talking about this, we also want to help each other to understand, I think trauma itself is subjective. Right. Uh, and it is personal experience um, to mm. an event that is probably um, not expected. Right. It can be very big, like disaster or an ex- accident, but it mm. could be also like um, sometimes uh, an incident that is uh, that the worker unexpectedly uh experienced. For example, a mother who actually shouted at them, you know, for 30 minutes, for example, right? It is again subjective because Kaden and myself may feel differently or may um, think differently. Yeah, so hence I think that uh, brings back to Lingfang's question, I think, um, what is the difference between uh, a usual clinical supervision versus um, a supervision with a trauma lens, right? Uh, We want to help them understand this aspect, that it is personal to them, it is an experience that probably uh, they, they feel a lot of
6: emotional response too. Uh, in supervision, it's about helping not to give solutions so quickly uh, mm-hmm. and how to help to just hold in that moment. And I'm curious to hear then, how do you help your uh, fellow colleagues or even supervisee to hold in that moment and not jump into solution? Because usually during crisis, uh, a lot of colleagues will come like, hey, if this happened, what, what should I do next? You know, immediately they'll ask you, what should I do next? Uh, so then uh, what were some of the things that you find yourself doing uh, allows you all to just hold for a while and suspend that moment and not just go into solutions yeah um,
3: when it comes to safety something that I really love talking about uh, so, uh, in my experience when i'm doing supervision, uh, i have seen um, my colleagues coming to me sharing um, that you know, they really need some solution to address certain matters and they' are often in a in a in a fight or fight flight mode like in the survival mode Yeah, So I think at that point of time, if we're going to uh, use the same mode uh, to support our colleagues, I think that might not be really helpful unless it's really uh, a matter of life and death. But if not, I think what is more important is really to uh, co-regulate with the colleague. For example, I have done uh, breathing exercises. So before we talk about any issues, talk about anything, so let's uh, do breathing exercise. Let's uh, do diaphragmatic breathing where we breathe together. Uh, or we can do visualization together. Yeah, But I think what more important is really what works well for, uh, for that colleague. So at the start of a supervision uh, uh, session or at the very uh, start of the supervisory relationship, uh, some questions could have already asked. So for example, uh, I'll ask my colleague, uh, what does safety uh, looks like for you? And what does feeling unsafe looks like for you? What are some of the uh, coping strategies that you find it helpful whenever you are facing with stresses? Because all of this uh, information will be useful for the supervisor uh, when it comes to situation where we need to do co-regulation.
6: It really reflects and demonstrates some of the principles of the trauma-informed lens. Uh, the idea of safety. Uh, giving your colleague choice what will help you you know, to feel good. It's a very collaborative uh, experience. Plus, it might take time uh, to build up but we also know that uh, the idea of these five principles, they are mutually uh, influencing each
5: other. Yeah, I thought I'd just like to add in another dimension of how um, ma- uh, managing a crisis, it may look differently from what Kaden described as the holding space and yet it can also be trauma-informed. Like for example, you know, by managing a crisis, um, um, you see your supervisor being frozen, do not know what to do. Um, and at that point in time, as a supervisor, you may uh, decide to take over and help to give certain directives. Uh, we know um, the state that the supervisor is in, like uh, Kaden rightfully described, like it could be in a, a freeze mode. And uh, for the benefit of the client, we have to take, do something as a supervisor to care for our clients. Um, But at the same time, um, if let's say prior to those sessions, we have a mutual understanding with our supervisee that, you know, what does safety look for you Um, and it could be also the supervisee's first time in managing such instances. You also want to provide that kind of self-safety for your supervisee knowing that, you know, the supervisee is not like left in the lurch Um, and after that. We want to also look uh, not just at that uh, uh, one session, but across time uh, is our supervisor being stretched to be able to better manage uh, at the, the next time when crisis happen. Maybe you know, our supervisor is able to stretch a bit longer, maybe able to do the first two steps of crisis management, but still need you to come in and take over, but over time, you know the supervisor can gain more competency and confidence and also deepening the trust and safety in that supervisory relationship. Um, what is trauma-informed,
4: uh, I guess, uh, experience, right? Um, care for the workers versus um, maybe not so trauma-informed like, you know, care? So a trauma-informed uh, supervisor would be um, able to say that what the safety looks like for you and uh, when you feel unsafe, how do you um, call for help? And when I take over, it doesn't mean that you are incompetent, right? Uh, it doesn't mean that you know um, you are not doing your work well, but you are actually experiencing some of the physiological responses, and it probably is affecting like you know how you are uh, responding to the very aggressive client, right? Uh, on the other hand, a concrete example of like a non-trauma-informed uh, you know uh, care would be saying that. How come you're not taking over? I'm not taking over until you say something. Okay? Uh, I don't think this is the threshold of uh, you know, uh, our organization. I think you should continue. I am not going to continue. You know, as a supervisor, I'm not coming in to support you. Right? The meaning itself is different. Yeah. So again, I think we emphasize on the experience and the meaning for the workers.
6: During a session, where sometimes I think our supervisee, depending on where they are, and also uh, what was the incident or episode that they are trying to support their client with, uh, they may sometimes need us to provide very directive uh, options, you know, Uh, and being directive doesn't mean I'm not being collaborative right? Because uh, let's not see directive and collaborative as opposite end. Maybe we should see directive and non-directive being on the line and collaboration as the overarching of that line. And that even if I'm being directive, I'm still being collaborative. For example, I might even ask my colleague saying things like, hey, you, know, you look a bit flustered now. Uh, might it be helpful if I give you one or two options that you can try with your client? I don't totally take away the control from my colleague the idea of knowing that I have a choice what can I ask my supervisor is very crucial I feel at that moment especially if we are supporting a colleague who is uh, managing crisis or a very very complex case
3: and I'd like to pose a question to all three of you is there real safety in the supervisory space knowing that uh, the supervisor will also be the one appraising the colleague let
4: let me Put it this way: Is that real safety? Um, when we are also like you know, uh, the appraiser for you know our workers. For myself, I think we have to be very clear of the boundaries. Like even for myself, like you know, um, as I know that you know who is my boss, right? Uh, but I also know that he will be the one or she will be the one that, uh, able to contain some of my uh, emotions. Uh, when i meet with um, crisis so i tend to put these two areas of need or focus of work differently I, I, I see it as um i don't know whether it's right to see it quite exclusively yeah but that's how i uh, cope with it yeah you know i i need yes i i need a, a supervisor that appraise my work and tell me how i'm doing, it uh, but i also uh, want a, a safety container right yeah and of course then what will come in between is really how my uh, supervisor appraises me of the skills and the direct impact I have on my clients
5: yeah it's something that is very close to my heart and I think it really does I mean it's um The dual relationship, right? I mean the sorry, the dual role that we hold. And if I may for myself when I do appraisal or what I aspire, hope to do during appraisal is um when it's not like a one-year kind of one year it happens kind of conversation, uh the ongoing conversation about how we can improve and how I can support you alongside. Yeah. So apart from safety, I think there are also a lot of other factors. I think what Siping just described really comes across as the supervise from the supervisor's point of view, to be able to look at how open am I. Yeah, that's from the supervisor's point of view, and also from the supervisor's point of view, um, how open am I as well to show the to show that I'm also human to show that I'm also will be impacted by you know the, the trauma materials um, as you and I too will have um, similar physiological responses, not because I am um, a supervisor then I'm immune to all this. I think it's, it's, it's not true and it's important to help um, our supervisee uh, see that and how we can uh, mutually support and hopefully um, to also be very mindful, which again goes back to my point about being reflective and being able, able to articulate where am I, uh, being being able to role model that you know I need to take a break from work, being able to role model by setting boundary um, to 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 the clients, yeah. So I thought um it's also the supervisor's uh, own posture how we can be open and vulnerable even though uh, we have um the the pow- in a way the power la. I once had a conversation and this wise lady said, I know I have the power, but I don't abuse it. And that wise lady is Miss Jessica. You may want to carry on.
6: <laughs> if you have power, use it, but don't abuse it. And, and I, I think that if we have a supervisory relationship, there is a power differential. And the image that popped into my mind is what I've been recently just been doing, which is learning how to uh, ride a bicycle. Yeah, and it's, it's a balance, right? And I'm constantly adjusting myself to gain that balance on that bicycle. And I think it's almost the same as the idea of safety in that relationship, in any relationship, I feel, that you are constantly Balancing, you you get off balance maybe because of a new experience that uh you and the other person that we are having that is a new experience and and uh we may be uh, recalibrating this balance of safety because of this new experience. If this is a new experience, I might not know how my supervising may or may not be responding to this situation. What is uh, his or her own history in relationship to observing, say, an incident about rebalancing all the time. But the important thing is that relationship and uh, cultivating that space to have this kind of conversation, to have these very difficult conversations. I would term it as the emotional holding environment. I learned the idea of working with uh, children. Uh, But I also realized that, hey, uh, that is a good idea to also bring in uh, to my supervisory relationship as well.
3: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So thanks to Ping, Lingfang and Jessica for sharing uh, what is your view about the power differential and how do we minimize that. It has to be very deliberate Yeah, where the supervisor have to really uh, create that, uh, that climate for safety to take place. The uh, supervision session uh, should be a secure base, a safe haven. Ultimately, the, the workers, they have to go out and conquer the different mountains uh, on their own. So, but what we can do is that we can build a secure base, a base camp at the, at the bottom of the uh, mountain before they climb it. Uh, they can always uh, uh, rest, recharge, uh, reflect uh, before they can conquer the mountain again. How are we able to provide that, that safety, uh, that sensitivity, that attunement uh, and, and to be reliable? emotionally present, consistent, predictable. So I think all these terms I kind of like big all this up from the conversation that you all have shared just now. Uh, It's also timely to relook into our appraisal design yeah, because if the appraiser ultimately is looking at whether uh, the worker has attained certain competency and things like that, I think no matter what kind of safety that we try to create, uh, sometimes the worker, especially the junior workers, might find it very hard to, to share because ultimately they know that this is uh, what the appraiser is looking out for, whether I'm attaining all this competency or not. So I, I, I'm feeling afraid of sharing more my vulnerability during the supervisory session. Yeah. So, however, I feel that appraisal process then should be looking at very uh, concrete key uh, objective uh, or KPIs that that we should be looking at. Does that clashes with our uh, spirit of learning? Yeah.
6: And again, I have another image in my mind. You know, I don't know whether you all have those uh, robot vacuum at home that it will go around uh, the house and cleaning up the house, but there's a base that it will go back to recharge. Yeah, I think sometimes uh, in supervision, I can see myself as that. That I'm the base that you can come back to recharge. Uh, uh, And after that, uh, you will go up and roam and and do what you need to do. Even though this is a secure base that you can come back and recharge. Um, But please remember how you are a uh, uh, robot cleaner that has uh, solar uh, panels on you. So if you just go out in the sun, you actually can self-recharge one. Uh, No need to every time come back because sometimes uh, the base may be so far away, you cannot get back in time. This conversation uh, don't just happen one time. I think this kind of conversation need to happen throughout uh, that supervisor relationship. It is uh, a conversation about learning. It's a conversation about my development. Uh, What can I learn and be better so that I can do what I need to do uh, to help the families that I'm helping? then um, the positioning is actually quite important uh, of of where we come from. Uh, The different kind of spectacles, we wear progressive lenses, you know. And if I am using my computer, I will wear a different pair of progressive lens uh, so that I can see things a bit clearer. When I need to get up from my desk and walk around, I cannot wear the pair of progressive lens. I need to change back to my normal pair because I need to see far. So it's about different pair of lens and where we use it. In different context, we might need different lens.
5: You all know the transformer, right? You know, like you know, when they are not uh not the what do you call that? <laughs> the lorry or the bumblebee car they will actually transform right so i think for the robot um we see our supervisors at work right but i think it's also a reminder that ourselves and our supervisors we are more than we are at work right i mean we have other roles we have other uh, hobbies and sometimes um, uh, it's a reminder for myself to actually also you know uh, build up other aspects of my life to set clear boundary about Um, uh, work and my personal life like i can still uh, do the things that enjoy uh, leave those protected time protected so that you know it doesn't uh, eat me away yeah so i thought this is also a useful conversation that uh, we also can have with our supervisees but it's more like a preventive thing like you know yeah you need to protect your time so that you know uh, you can better um, support the families that you work with yeah
0: the the parts
4: is trauma-informed care doesn't just happen in supervision or in proper like you know um settings or one hour that we set with our supervisors. I think if we truly embody trauma-informed care in our organization or in you know the relationship with our co-workers, it's really about um even the daily interactions or hourly interactions with our co-workers, like um just acknowledging that how bad is um you know today's session or just acknowledging how. Um, you know traumatizing it is um to face like you know someone who who just um, you know abused you know their child um so that, that is something um that i i truly believe in um that it doesn't just happen in a one hour session.
3: Thank you for sharing all this uh nuggets of wisdom yeah so i i really uh... Shout out and really echo the five uh, important elements of uh, trauma informed practice infused into trauma informed supervision. When we talk about trauma, we have to talk about brain development. Uh, our, our brain develops bottoms up, right? Yeah, from brain stem to limbic system to our free prefrontal cortex. When we go in and, and we really want to um, get into the to the heart of the matter, to, we just want to resolve certain issues, we are just hitting the upper part of the brain which is the prefrontal context the the area where evolve are responsible for speech for logical thinking and so on but if our, our supervisors or colleagues they are not at, at functioning at that level uh then then you know we are really hitting wrong part of the brain so a lot of times it's really uh, making use of our five senses creating safety co-regulation um uh, yeah then then we are really hitting the lower part of the brain then uh, slowly we can uh, go up to the prefrontal cortex, and then we can really uh, brainstorm, uh, reflect, and talk more. Yeah, so I think uh we can't run away from from brain development. Yeah, so thank you for all for sharing this. So maybe now I really have to invite uh those who are observing um in the outer circle, Mingfang, Rachel, Dominic, uh to also share like what have you heard from our conversation? Uh, what have you, what, what kind of feelings, uh, emotions that that went through, what are some of the thoughts that went through your mind? So so please feel free to share.
1: Yeah. Okay, so now I think there was a uh, a session that was really really filled with so many concepts so many things and I'm sure there are a lot of thoughts emotions that are flying through your minds Uh, I think what we're going to do is we're just going to give ourselves 15 minutes to just reflect upon that Uh, yeah so perhaps what we can do is just share one reflection and then maybe one further question that we may have Uh, and just to the listeners this is what we're going to do and later we'll have the the initial four that has been talking about it come back and, and share their reflections with us yeah so perhaps what I can do is I can go first the question that I had right when I was listening to all of them, what would the impact of trauma-informed supervision be on me? Yeah, and, and I think this is something that I, I, I kind of termed like, while I was listening to them, that actually trauma-informed supervision is actually a, re- a recognition of unknowns. And, and why I mean that is because they were talking a lot about different experiences, which I kind of hear from friends as well and experience myself like, hey, I kind of have this emotion or this feeling, or this like sense of like, hey, I'm not too sure what to do. Uh, and actually at that point of time, that might be some form of traumatic experience because it may be something very new. I really love how Suping also brought us back to the point where where trauma is subjective and it is personal. Yeah, but what happened then is, as they were discussing and how the trauma-informed supervision really looked like, right? Like what struck me the most was that as we, we transit from the place of recognition of unknowns, Uh, and Jess Jess actually used this term trauma materials. And I was like, wow, okay, now that kind of clicked in me. Because because the way in which they see it, because of the knowledge that they have of trauma, leads them to be able to see these trauma materials that I might not have. And that actually produces an additional layer of insight. Yeah, uh, not just for for them, but actually also for me. Then from there, that kind of starts the sense-making process, right? Because one of the big questions that I kind of have is also like, how is trauma processed? Yeah, you know, we always talk about trauma. We are able to assess and identify it, but how do we process trauma? Which then comes back very much to like what Caden was talking about, uh, which is safety. What does a supervisory relationship or safety looks like? Yeah, and, and I, I was thinking, well, all these these pieces are really just coming together. It is only in that space that is met with two elements. Firstly, is the recognition of what's going through myself. And secondly, it's the safety to be able to process it, whatever that might be. Uh, then I can in some form of, or way be able to, I won't say move on completely. Lah. We are not too sure, but at least begin that process of that. Yeah. So I, I thought that, Hey, you know, that is the impact of like really trauma-informed supervision, because when I consider also like, Hey, what's the difference between trauma-informed supervision, normal supervision? I think it is giving vocabulary to, to, to the experiences that I'm going through, which may not necessarily be identified so quickly. If let's say someone is not necessarily trauma-informed,
2: Wonderful. I love how you summed that up really nicely. And I think all four professionals, at least when I was listening in, I was hearing very different perspectives. Mm. Some from the more theoretical then, some from the more applied, some from their own experiences, right? Uh, Being a supervisor, even a supervisee. And for myself, I loved how, uh, Dom, you asked the question, how is trauma processed and how you picked up on the unknown to known. My personal reflection is really the bit on, how the supervisee's experience from right here is a lot of a loss of control
3: mm. and
2: much of it is the role and, and the manners in which the supervisor is trying to support the supervisor to regain that space. So in the questions about um, co-regulation right where I think um, previously Kaden was sharing a bit about what does safety look like for you? How do you wish to be supported? Or when Si Ping was even mentioning about managing the power dynamics right about recognizing that hey if I take over it doesn't mean that you are incompetent as a worker or even when jess uh, I think earlier she shared about um there is a spectrum uh, of being directive and then overarching that it's being co- collaborative all this makes me think that really it's about small ways of giving control back uh, to the supervisee who may have experienced that loss of control, better be it because of an unexpected event that you have to attend to, for example. And, and for me, I really uh, love the analogy that just had about um the bicycle. I myself learned how to ride a bicycle recently as well. And and when I was learning, um. I kept telling myself I'm in control of the bike, right? And I held on really tightly to the to the um to the handlebars. But I realized that that would only make me less able to navigate that space, right? So perhaps it's about that first willingness to be vulnerable and acknowledge that it's okay um, to sometimes experience psychologically or physically um sort of sensations that tell us that we are unsafe. Mm. And, maybe finding different ways whether it be through supervision or through others in our organizations or personal spaces where we can recharge as well so I think that was my personal reflection and and I really learned a lot from that conversation as well.
4: Mm.
0: Rachel do you want to add in? Yeah, thanks uh, Dom and Mingfang for just sharing your thoughts. Yeah, I think even hearing you guys, um, you know, translate what they shared in your own words also kind of helped to like just give a collective understanding of what we've just heard. Um, As I was listening, I think there were different um things that stood out to me, but I think I'll speak about two specific areas. I think I liked how... Um, at the start, they were talking about how, you know, when we're talking about trauma-informed care, it's not just about um, supervisor to supervisee, I think they were talking about colleague to colleague. Yeah, and I think that's something that is really um, important for us to remember, right? Because one supervisor has so many <laughs> supervisees. Uh, and sometimes as, a, as an organisation, we also kind of need to play that peer um, kind of support in, in this area. That, that, mean, that means that this whole idea of like, trauma-informed care is really relevant to everyone. Um, it's not just relevant if you are a supervisor, but it's relevant as long as you're working in any sort of setting that deals with crisis or even, um, I guess what we describe as trauma can be also very personal, right? I think like what's it being said, colleague to colleague, and maybe as colleagues, we might know more things about our colleagues as compared to um, supervisors do with their supervisees in terms of like their personal life. Yeah, so I think that's something for our listeners also to consider. Yeah, and I think for myself, I've actually um, recently uh, entered into this space of being a supervisor. Uh, so Yay! I'm in my second, thank you, uh, I'm in my second week of doing that. And I think a lot of the things that were mentioned were very helpful concretely, because I think they were talking about like building safety or like understanding like triggers, hotspots and stressors, right? Um yeah, and I think these are things I've also been trying to explore, be it about myself or about my colleagues and, and the people that I supervise in the future. And um, I guess the question that I have, uh, if we're entering into questions, is, you know, um, in the role of a supervisor, right? Like, I'm assuming some of our listeners, yeah, probably maybe around like three to four years into work, you know, they're kind of like, hey guys, you kind of need to take a supervisee now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, well, what should we do um? when we are also kind of affected by what we are witnessing um, with the client? Like, how can we also, uh, what can we do to process our trauma in that moment or or to stabilize ourselves in that moment? And I think number two also, what if you yourself have never experienced having this safe haven as a supervisee? How can you... uh, how can you do this for your future supervisee?
1: Wow, I love the second question, actually. Uh, not, that it's more, not that it's more important, but yeah, you're, you're right. Like, what happens if actually someone has never really um, uh, experienced something like that? How do you replicate that? Because it's, you know, there's no sense of role modeling.
2: Yeah, I think about that safe haven space. But mm. as a supervisee, perhaps I, I do witness amongst my peers or even for myself, right, that not everyone in our audience have experienced what trauma-informed supervision yes, looks like.
1: Exactly. And
2: how can we as supervisees ask for this? So, for mm. example, if we have uh, a listener who is listening in and thinks, wow, oh, I wish someone had asked me this question, but in the in organisational space, you find it difficult to actually find such safety. How, how is a manner in which we can ask and approach this? Uh, that's my curiosity.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I want to jump on that very quickly because I think that's also some, one of the questions that I had. I actually have two, so I'll just share the first, and then if you have anything to add, if not, I'll segue into the second. But my first question then really comes down to, you're right, what happens then when you see an, an organization, or let's not talk about it at an organizational level, but more like a sectorial level as well, when there are differences in, in in supervision styles. So my first question is just very much more about like, sectorally, what do we do? Yeah. That, that's simply, I, mean, I don't expect them to answer the question, but I think it's really much more about like, hey, you know, that like, kind of starts the, the mind thinking. But actually, my my deeper question is because when you see the four of them pop, right? In the non-verbals, in the way they're able to communicate with one another, you know they embodied it. Yeah, it's not just a matter of like, okay, I'm reading from the textbook. This is what the definition is, we're going there. Like you see how quickly they pick out on the principles. You see how integrated the vocabulary is. Right. My question is actually what makes them care so much about it, and how did they begin caring about it? Because then, starting from there, then would that be a kind of like a motivation, or or like a hey, this is my story, whereby other people can say, yeah, you know, I recognize the the, the importance of it, but yeah, I don't really know how to start. Like right now, for us, just because we're part of this conversation, we kind of will be privy and cognizant of trauma, and this will naturally also flow hopefully to our clients as well when they're in that kind of space you know yeah so I think those are just my two questions one a bit more sectoral the other actually very personal
2: yeah I loved both questions really Um, and I think the personal narratives will be definitely something that uh, we'll be excited to hear later on Um, I think uh, my final question is actually and I'll our little conversations with them uh, prior to this podcast and actually uh doing this podcast it is of my sensing that actually for themselves the four of them i think for three of us we see them being so um certain and and, and confident and 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 they seem to appear to know what they're doing right but sometimes in conversation i have the sensing that they themselves struggle to also mm. understand what uh, they're doing whether it's really trauma-informed uh, of course the four of you later can feel free to correct uh, me if i'm wrong but i'm just wondering then where is that space um, for feedback for you right to, to know if what you're doing is trauma-informed and when you are uh, some resources that you turn to perhaps that you can turn uh, our fellow listeners to as well it's just an exciting space to be in that we're actually having this conversation
3: Wow, there are some uh, exciting and um, insightful questions that uh, I think Mm. they have for us.
6: How do we process trauma? Hmm. Uh, I thought that was a very useful question. Um, And how do we process trauma as supervisor? How do we process trauma as supervisor? Because then uh, going back to our earlier conversation or huh, uh, if when we are working with trauma, then indirect trauma is a different. Then of course as supervisor, we will also experience indirect trauma. Uh, we will also experience uh, sleeplessness. We will also experience uh, body sensation feeling butterflies in our stomach. You know when our supervisor come to us and say, "Hey, this happened to my family. yeah. How do I process it? I was asking myself that question just now when I heard it, yeah. And the other thing that stayed with me and I really liked was uh, them saying that hey, trauma is very, trauma experience is very personal. Each of us experience it differently from the other person. Even if we may have seen the same episode, uh, we would have experienced the episode in a different way.
3: Thanks for sharing that. Uh, I think personally, I also very heartened on um, one of the questions that I think they also resonated among themselves, which is uh, if uh, we didn't experience um, trauma-informed supervision ourselves, and how do we even replicate that uh, to mm. our supervisees? So I thought that was quite an excellent question. So I was also thinking about that. Just be curious and open. Yeah. Uh, sometimes um, when we go into a supervi- supervision space, we often ask, uh, "So why why does it, why 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 this happen? You know what's wrong?" Yeah. But sometimes uh, some of these questions, uh, unconsciously, uh, has a very um, blaming, negative connotation to it. Yeah. Uh, so so sometimes just by asking, "What happened?" Yeah, what happened how are you feeling about it yeah so this uh kind of like uh remove some of this um negative connotation to it yeah and also to be, to be curious and open yeah to really find out more about um why why uh why are they thinking about this uh, why why would they be doing this and things like that yeah so sometimes being curious and being open uh we are also um widening that space for people to to invite people in to their safe uh space and and then to to have a to have a chat about it yeah and i think being very deliberate in recognizing uh, every one uh, unique uh, experiences i think that is very important so i think just now you're also mentioning about uh, trauma is very subjective yeah uh, it's really recognizing uh, every individual as a unique individual and every experiences as a unique experiences yeah so we never downplay we never minimize yeah, and just be as curious and as, as open as possible.
5: Yeah, I think for me it's uh very heartening to hear all their reflections, um, and how they are beginning a process of meaning making for themselves, because I think um trauma informed practice or supervision or even care is a very huge concept and some of us uh, may be very uh, new to it and some of us even though you know this term has been around for some time but we are also finding our way around it trying to also make sense so it's really an ongoing process which is why I really like uh, Mingfang's question about you know how do we know that um, we are you know being trauma informed uh, what we are doing is being trauma informed at least for myself when I um. Uh. What I observe is really some of us may have different take or uh, meaning. Uh. Ascribed to it. Like how do we even practice, based on the literature that we read, based on our own supervision experiences, based on the conversations we have with our, um, uh, colleagues. And some of the organisations are also saying that you know we are um striving to, striving towards becoming trauma informed organisation. Is that what it looks like? For myself, um, it's uh, I think it goes back to um. Uh, the core uh, principles that we talked about, and also going back to our relationship with our respective supervise- supervisees, because I think some elements don't change. Like, um, uh, you know, the fit, um, the responses that we get from our supervisee, the authenticity, you know, of the relationship, the depth of the relationship. These are really, you know, feedback la. Yeah. And just a closing, I really like uh, one, one of you mentioned about it's, it's acceptable to feel unsafe. I think that's a great reminder for us to, as supervisors, as colleagues to one another and as yeah. And for us to be able to feel okay, uh, it, it also uh, requires some level of safety.
4: Thank you Ling Fang and I think I picked up on the excitement that Rachel is doing the first like you know eh, taking on her first supervisee and when I think they ask like you know eh, what became uh, apparent or what became uh, your passion when you start to apply uh, TIS like you know uh, trauma-informed supervision or trauma-informed care. I think that's the that's the part I, I try to reflect back and recall you know when I first took on my first case, and when I first uh, took on my first supervising, right, and that I think uh, is the excitement that we have, and uh, the curiosity that we always have, how do I uh, improve myself, or how do I do things differently, what can I do, um, you know, more of, yeah, and reflecting on like you know um how can we uh, provide better um care for our clients? So that that is uh, my own personal actually reflection. How did I start to care? Is when I start to think about like you know um how can I support my clients differently? Yeah, so um just maybe to answer a little bit you know to um how if we don't have we have never experienced like you know um. Trauma-informed supervision before. Where where do we start? I think we could start by looking back at our interactions with our clients, because that is our um where we first start off with. Like you know, as a direct worker, yeah. So. Yeah, we can, I, I think that's where we can um, collect some you know, uh, wisdom for ourselves um, to see like, you know, if our, has our interaction re-traumatized our clients? What did I do, right? Um, to help clients feel heard? Um, what did I do to actually provide the resources or even co-regulating with some of our uh, clients, be it the adults
6: or actually the young child um, that we interact? Yeah, so that is my own reflection. I was supervising a a group who was doing uh, very complex uh, cases uh, with uh, child protection concerns in the community. And just like sleeping, they are very hardworking workers. Keep thinking, what can I do? How else can I be different to be there for the family to support, to keep the children safe? And uh, and that made me change uh, the way I uh, um, interact uh, with my supervisee, uh, for example. I- I'm trained uh, in supervision, that you don't take over your supervisee case and become the caseworker, uh, that you should support your supervisee to uh, do the case and be the caseworker. Um, but I realised supervisees are coming to me uh, and I realised that I have to be different. I have to change. Uh, then how can I hold them better? And, and that was before I read anything about trauma-informed uh, supervision or trauma-informed practice, uh, that I realized I have to, um, at times, coach them and demonstrate to them how uh, to manage a very difficult conversation. I begin to uh, realize that I have to uh, really sit down uh, during debrief, not talk about next steps. But the first thing I did was say, how are you? You know, that was a very difficult session. You look very tired. Um, what is uh, going on for you? You know, and, and, I had, and I started this first. that I realized I have to attend to them. I have to take care of them so that they will be able to do what they need to do. But at the same time, I, I realized that my, my colleagues are also uh, affected. Uh, they are not sleeping well. They are not eating well. They are not taking beef. And that made me change as a supervisor and that made me change as a uh, team leader. Then after I talked to my own supervisor about what I observed about my team, uh, to tell them that it's okay that we are affected. Uh, To tell them that, hey, you know, we are not sleeping well. Uh, To tell them that I am affected too. How I actually model that uh, even as a senior practitioner and being experienced, and I think I'm a pretty good practitioner, um, I will still feel lost, confused, uh, and I will ask them for help. That I will tell them that I'm stuck with this case. Can you help me, please? I need to walk through with you, tell me why I'm stuck, and can you give me some suggestions? Or ask me some questions to see uh, what made me so stuck. So I was doing that, and it was after I think Ling Fang and I uh, went for a training that we realised that, wow, that's indirect trauma. And I actually then started having words to describe indirect trauma. And I was then able to use it in supervision with my colleague and say, hey, I think uh, uh, you may be experiencing this, or I may be experiencing this. So so that, that was what got me interested about trauma-informed trauma informed Uh, practice and
3: supervision so what made us care about uh, trauma-informed supervision and why do we even care about it which is more tiring trauma-informed supervision or just a normal kind of like supervision actually if we do not embed trauma-informed practice in our supervision ultimately it will make as a supervisor more tiring yeah why i say that Um, i often heard my previous supervisors are telling me that, or I also heard other supervisors telling their supervisee that um, you know, you have to draw healthy boundaries, you know, uh, you cannot be immersed into your client's suffering, loss, and not be touched by it. Yeah, so sometimes I also wonder, by drawing healthy boundaries, not being um, affected by it, is it even realistic? Yeah, it's just like uh, walking through the water and not getting wet. Yeah, So I, I, I didn't begin to think that um, instead of really getting um, our colleagues to draw healthy boundaries, why not bring that space, uh, recognizing what is the um, issues that, uh, or struggles, challenges uh, that, that our colleagues are facing, and then let's co-regulate it together, let's uh, hold this tension together. Yeah, I thought that would be even uh, more helpful and less tiring. Yeah, because if I'm a supervisor and I have to think that, you know, draw healthy boundaries, uh, let's quickly uh think of solution and solve the issue, uh, then my my mind is always um, be in that uh, solution solving mode. Yeah, then I thought that when I co-regulate with my colleagues, I uh, hold attention together. Uh, and and knowing that you know we are in this together, uh, I thought that sense of safety, that sense of connectedness, make the relationship, make the whole supervisory space uh, more bearable, and it's more bearable ultimately.
6: Or, or is it because we give each other permission, uh, to be human, that it's okay that you will be upset, it's okay that you'll be tired, it's normal. So I, I thought that uh, giving each other that space that it's all right, you know, to, to be upset and it's all right uh, to be tired uh, was quite, it's very liberating actually. How do we replicate this if we have never experienced this before? I think one of the questions was this. I think the other thing I would like to encourage everyone who is listening to this uh, to uh, try, try and try again. You know, uh, if your supervisor is uh, uh, not curious about who you are, maybe you can start with being curious about who your supervisor is uh, and uh, let your supervisor know that, hey, I heard this podcast, you know. And one of the things that they suggest was uh, to have, uh, to build a relationship with my supervisor so that we can have safety to talk about very difficult things. And I wonder if we can try and do that. I, I can honestly uh, tell you one of the things i learned uh, to do is to check in every supervision. Hey, How are you feeling today? And I learned that not from my supervisor. I learned that from my supervisee, supervisee, who told me that, hey, Jeff, maybe we should do a check-in first. That has been helpful for me. And it's something I just learned this year. And that comes from a worker that is younger than me. So I I would really encourage all those young uh, practitioners out there, you have a fair share in that relationship. Just give it a try and see what happens.
3: Yeah, thanks uh jessica for sharing uh so then allow me to round up uh, our fishbowl session on trauma-informed supervision it's really exciting to hear all these uh nuggets of wisdom uh, experiences uh, concepts theories and even uh, younger workers also share uh, in terms of the reflection and feedback after hearing what we have shared uh trauma informed uh, care and trauma-informed supervision really revolve around the five concepts so and i think it's very important for then supervisors to really uh, recognize, you know every unique individual and their experiences, uh, having a curious mind, uh, being open, and uh, and also model the model. You know, uh, really uh, uh, try to um, uh, embed some of this uh, trauma-informed uh, care into a supervision, so that uh, your supervising next time, as they become supervisor, they can always they can also pass down uh, this kind of uh, supervision spirit uh, uh, concepts uh, down to the our future younger generation of social workers. uh, Be very deliberate in creating that uh, relational uh, safe space for supervision. It's really like riding a bicycle, like conquering a mountain, and uh, like the robot cleaner, always returning back uh, to the the charger, the docking point to charge. Creating that space uh, for for supervisors to feel safe, uh, for them to reflect, for them to learn. So safety and trust is really very important and that is really the cornerstone of really uh, trauma-informed supervision uh, is all about. Uh, Regardless whether it's a supervisor or a supervisee, uh, I think self-care is very, very important. Uh, And how do we um, know that uh, we are regulating ourselves? How do we co-regulate together? Yeah, So I think this is really important. Yeah, I think this is really a very insightful session. I hope uh, our listener can also gain uh, a lot uh, from us.
0: You've just listened to another episode of Social Work Made Accessible.
1: We would love to hear your thoughts on anything that we've shared.
0: You can reach us at swmadeaccessible at gmail.com or drop us a follow and a DM at swmadeaccessible on Instagram.
1: And don't forget to join us in the next episode.